Hey everyone, welcome to Dev Interrupted. I'm Dan Lines, and today's topic is Does Dev Methodology Matter? Joining me today is Chris Downer, VP of Engineering at GigSmart. What's up, Chris? How's it going, man? I'm doing pretty well. How are you today, Dan? I am doing awesome. It's Friday, feeling good, uh, getting towards the end of the week. So yeah, all, all good on my side. And I know you have a, a ton of stuff that you want to say around process and people and culture and how software development is maybe changing the world in our new reality. But we have a, a tradition on the Dev Interrupted podcast. Um, and Dev Interrupted can mean a bunch of different things. It could mean, uh, hey, I'm getting interrupted by prod bugs or my family or, you know, for me, um, I've moved over to sales. So, you know, sales is inter interrupting me. But I have to ask you this question. What's been interrupting you this week? That's, that's a good one. Um, well, last week, uh, my kid's school had a COVID case. So they have switched to remote school this week and next week um, before they can return. So I've had them at home. Uh, we'll call it working with me. <laughs> wow. So, so they were at school and then they, they had one... one case and now yeah they've they go to a really small school there's like 50 kids and so okay. one case uh is pretty easy to have that go everywhere um yeah yeah so they're at home but they're they're making the best of it you know doing they're they're on zoom all day too just like me so um they're they're and, little remote meeting experts <laughs> and do you have your own uh room or do they are they they do through the school, yeah. Zoom, Zoom did some program with schools where they uh, they made some stuff available, and so tons of schools have switched to Zoom. It's great. Yeah, yeah. I think in 2020, everyone is getting a little bit uh, interrupted by family-related stuff. Family is always awesome, but uh, if you have kids um, in school, that stuff happens. Totally normal, I guess now. Uh, so we're going to be talking about does dev methodology um, matter, but let me let me ask you this, Chris. Um, what dev methodology is your team following today? So yeah, so we're we're using agile, but we're using a really quirky form of it. Um, I had a boss a long time ago um, that said anyone that you ask whether or not they're using agile, it's always yes, but <laughs> yeah, it's like, yeah, I'm agile, but I'm a mix of scrum and Kanban. Yeah. And you know, we're, we're that, that, um, we're that amalgamation too, because we don't follow sprint sprinting exclusively, but we use it for our look back. So we generate what we refer to as sprint reports, but in our daily lives, we're not really talking about the sprints. We're not talking about churn coming in and out of the sprints because we kind of follow more of a, a Kanban orientation. And you know, recently we eliminated the idea of teams. So oh, really? Yeah, we're we're being a little bit radical lately, but it's working for us very well. Because I was going to ask you a question, um, something like, "Hey, whatever methodology you are." following, which seems to be some kind of mix that you'll explain. Is it all your teams have to do the same thing or is mm -hmm. it they decide themselves, but you're saying you don't yeah. have teams now? Well, I, it, we kind of refer to it as one team. <laughs> one team. Okay. Yeah. Um, I don't think it would have worked well for us six months ago, honestly, to do this. I think it would have been too much chaos. Uh, but now it's, it's a highly coordinated. What we found, especially in working remote, 
is that as we became real-time facilitators to unblock each other, we ended up kind of coalescing around like disciplines. So, um, you know, our team is primarily split into front end and back end as far as skill sets. Uh, and while there are people that can kind of go back and forth, um, for the most part, you spend 80 to 100% of your time on the, on the dominant one. It's not, we don't prevent you from it. It's just kind of how it shakes out because we're moving really fast and, you know, that's where the focus is. And so as we went remote and we had, you know, coffee talk and we had people. Yeah. Um, Pro tip for everyone out there. If you want to increase collaboration and feel good vibes while everyone's remote, try Zoom coffee talk. So back on the uh, dev methodology. Uh, right. So you're, you're, you're working as one team now. One team. Yeah, it just, it, it naturally evolved that way because yeah. because of this remote culture that we adopted very rapidly, um, we just found that like the backend people tended to support each other on their backend tickets, whether or not it was on their direct team or the direct feature they were working on. They were helping each other, committing to each other's code, making sure MRs got across, et cetera. And so we kept the team thing going up until, I don't know, last month or so. And we were measuring that way. And then we just eliminated it because it just didn't make sense anymore. So now we kind of think of it more like, you know, we have say three or four features in flight, your dominant project that you identify as you're attached to that project. Um, but we're all one team. So we just do one large standup because our team is small enough to do that still. And how many, um, how many total people? Uh, I think well, for people that give updates in that, I think there's around 14 and it takes us maybe 15 minutes to get through everybody. It's real quick. So you're using the daily stand-up ceremony? Yep, we use the daily stand-up ceremony. Um, we check in uh, if, and we, it's funny, we just switched this um, this week and I think it's, it's good is now people give their stand-up updates in order where they're grouped around their feature. So like the first several people are on the first feature, the second several people are on the next one, et cetera. Gotcha. Are you using any other of the common, um, ceremonies you know retros uh yep. sprint planning i don't even know if you're really working in sprints but maybe sprint planning yeah it's uh, funny because we don't we don't really work in sprints but we do sprint planning <laughs> um so we have our own overall planning process that's um that happens and that can happen alongside all the other work that's going on uh, but then every two weeks we have a quick uh kind of like grooming planning just to make sure everybody's on the same page. Typically all those tickets are already groomed ahead of time anyway, just as a result of our planning process overall. Um, but we do the sprint planning so that we can check in and everybody has the kind of the pulse or the heartbeat of what we're trying to get done in the next two weeks. Gotcha. Um, but we, it's all, it's all done on Kanban boards. So, you Pull know, from the top, whatever's yeah. highest priority. Yep. So we allow it, the product team loves that because if they decide suddenly something is really, hot because sales has run into something we're able to address it immediately so it, it sounds like to me you've kind of made up your own methodology maybe or your team has made up their own methodology but pulling from some of the common agile practices where you deem worthy yeah what i think i know about you what you might have said to me on, on slack because you and i chat chat on slack um was there one point where you were more strictly agile, like or, or oh, agile yeah. scrum or like safe mm -hmm. or like I'm following these principles, my teams follow these principles? Is, yeah, at the, 
at the previous company I was at, we were, um, I don't know, I, I guess I'd struggle. I, I would call it more disciplined. Like everything was, was more rigid. We had an outcome. We were trying to reduce churn as much as possible. We wanted what we predicted to be what we delivered with, uh, you know, as, as close as we could possibly get to get better predictors. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, it was, a, it was a company with a significant revenue stream. Um, you know, the company was 20 years old, I think, by that point. Right. So, because I, what I wanted to ask you is, okay, in your previous role, it seemed like you were more, let's just say more so strictly following a process or more disciplined to the, pro- to the process. Were you, were you in Scrum process before? Something like uh, that. Yeah, we were, we're using sprints religiously. Okay. So sure. you're, and now you kind of have your, your own methodology. I can't even de- define it's smart it. engineering. <laughs> well, yeah. It, it's hundred percent driven by the team because you know you yeah. mentioned sprint retros. Every time we retro, um, anything that engineering brings up that's like, hey, this isn't working well. We're not quite sure what the lever is to fix this. We start a conversation. Product will help us. You know, it's just it's let's chat about ways to make it better, and then we test it. And if it doesn't work, we readdress it again and try to make it work a different way. So I, since I joined Gigsmart, I don't feel like there's been a single sprint, if you will or maybe even four week period where everything has been just a hundred percent the same because we're mm-hmm. constantly willing to adjust based on feedback for the team saying, I would be better if we do this. See, I like that. That's what makes sense to me. If I had kind of like the ideal setup, but I, what I want to find out is, you know, either why you were una- unable or didn't want to do that in your previous life is it you know the pro type of project that we're working on was it the company culture is it the size of the team is it now you know with the covid era that we're in now and this more like sometimes we're remote sometimes we're not what either caused the change or has enabled you to make this change no that's a that's a great question at the last company it was i i think it was a matter of uh leadership level outcomes right we valued the predictability and since that was the value, I, I guess, let me phrase that a different way. Okay. Your methodology or your processes or your ethos or whatever the underlying things are that drive your team are purpose built to achieve the outcome that you want to achieve. Right. And like, I can't necessarily take what we've built as a gig smart engineering culture or process directly to another company and like have it magically work. Right. right. So like you kind of have to start with defining your outcomes. GigSmart, our goal was be the best, fastest, most scalable engineering team that we possibly could be. Um, you know, at the previous company, we were a, at that, you know, by the time I left, we were a global brand um, for government software. And it was about stability and predictably, you know, releasing to, to those people. And it was a different type of software. Um, so at Kicksmart, we're building a platform that we want to patch. Like if there's a problem with it, if there's any kind of failure, we want that patch out there instantly. Um, yeah. Yeah. So it's a different so, ethos. Yeah. So, you know, I guess to summarize kind of what, what you're saying, you have to understand the outcomes that your business either wants from your team or, or kind of your team culture. Like, you know, Hey, business a might want to be really, really predictable on what, you know, what's going out and when business B might want to be very, very experimental, fluid, uh, changing fast 
delivery, but if we're not predictable of exactly what we say is going out and when, that's okay. And for you, you would adapt your, your methodology based on, uh, yeah, I guess what the business wants. Is that, is that fair to say? Yeah, it's totally. So, you know, for example, in that stability model where you really care about every little bit of predictability, hot fixes are bad, right? Um, and in, in my world now, um, although it's, it's been a conversation at the leadership level, like, you know, when I present to executives and we say, oh, we had 15 hot fixes, I, that doesn't mean that's a bad thing. It means that we prioritized that there was a bug, whether it was small or large, that we should fix quickly. And right. our ability to ship that quickly means that we were able to provide that remediation without going through multiple levels of, of you know, um, environment or time really is what that's a proxy for. Yeah, yeah, actually the hot fix thing is interesting. You're saying in one, um, in one setup, you know, we, we know we're gonna have hot fixes. We can fix things really, really fast. It's not disrupting to the business, let's say. Yeah. And maybe in a in a, a a different business, it's like, oh, why are we having all these hot hot fixes? You said you were going to do this other thing. You're working on these hot fixes. This isn't good. Maybe that changes your predictability. Yeah, it's kind of funny because like hot fix inherently, like when you hear that word, you're like, oh no, something went wrong. It sounds but, negative. But really, <laughs> we should change the we should really change the name of it because it's more about a process, right? A hot fix to us means that we followed a specific process to go direct to prod as quickly as possible. So it could be that we were just prioritizing a request from the sales team or the marketing team or what have you, or it could be that we were fixing a bug or a slow query or something like that to make the experience better. I want to do, a, do an exercise with you. Let's say that you or we were making up our own methodology from scratch. Do you think that there's a few, and let's say you, you were making it up and you, know, you, you had to define a few principles. Do you think that there's a few core principles that kind of no matter, you know, what's up with your team or what the business, you know, wants that you would bring to almost any methodology? Yeah, I think, well, I mean, it always starts with, you know, um, you, you, you've got to go through that discovery phase of starting to ask questions. So yeah. Dan and I, we form our new startup business and we're going to change the world, right? But how are we going to measure whether or not we change the world? Like, what, what are the things that we need? need to do in order to make this successful. So to me, if I was coming to that and we we're having that discussion, I'd say, okay, we need to be fast, right? Do we need to be predictable? That actually is a funny thing because we spend so much time talking about what does this point mean versus this point? <laughs> How do we normalize points in some way? Are we measuring complexity or are we measuring time? You know, in, in purist, we're only measuring complexity, but in reality as leaders, we know that at some point, whether we're doing a look back or, or something else, we're using points to predict when we're going to complete something, right? It sounds like, so would you say one of the, the principles is around measuring in some way or like yeah. having data, being data-driven in some way? I, I think being data-driven in today's development world, especially if you're starting a new company, you don't have any excuses. You have to be data-driven. Um, and I if you it. aren't, if you aren't data-driven yet, you're behind the ball. And it's not hard to start gathering the data, but you do have to think about what matters to you. Um, and that's why you have to have that conversation of what's important first, because whatever you measure and you broadcast to other people that you're measuring, those are the results you're gonna get. So if you're gonna start telling your entire team, here's how many code, lines of code you wrote last week, 
they're going to start focusing on the number of lines of code they wrote. And I got to be honest, that's not a good indicator. Like we all know that as developers. Yeah. Not a, um, not a good one to start with. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> there's there's, there's yeah. this joke about how many lines can you delete, right? <laughs> um, so I think being data-driven is massively important, but being data-driven without purpose is not useful. And it's honestly, it can kill your team's culture. So you have to be really careful. I measure all kinds of stuff that I don't necessarily share with the team because it gives me data. And then I form information out of context that they provide me with. Okay, so let's say kind of principle one is you have to be data-driven, you have to be measuring, but you have to go through an exercise of what matters to you, to your engineering team and to the business in order to pick the right things to measure because what you measure is going to drive behavior. Yeah, absolutely. Um, okay. And you know, as long as you maintain a trusting relationship with your team, uh, they're going to produce that for you with consistency. Uh, I, I've, in the past, we've had the ability for like the team to take a look at the number of commits they produced in a week and it's produced the wrong behaviors where people just push a lot of commits, but they don't necessarily get a lot done. Right. And okay. when they look at that, they're like, Oh, well, look, I have this many commits and I'm like, that's great, but we're, we have to be delivery oriented. Right? Any advice is, so if someone's new, new to measuring, you're saying everybody's gotta be measuring if you're and if you're at a new place, there's no excuse. Right. Um, if this is new for me, any advice of wh where to start if you're not sure? Um, get something that measures you, like the rate at which code is going in, right? Um, you can do this yourself. It is a huge pain, so I recommend getting something else to do it. But don't be, don't be too tied to like what tool you use. What matters is like you could do this all in Excel. You just have to start doing it because you need to internally have a real sense of what's happening on your team at any given point in time so that when people ask you about it, especially other executives um, or managers or whatever the case may be, uh, you've got to be able to answer the question. So you really need to understand how your organization is moving. Sales typically has it easy because in some form or fashion, we always have data on sales closed a deal, right? Yeah. So if we say how many deals got closed or how many things got sold, it's a really easy data point. Now we're developers, we don't have an excuse to say we can't measure that because we're writing all of the stuff that we could measure, right? So if you have analytics, there's no reason not to be looking at them. Um, you know, I, I use Linear B and I love it. And it really, I, I'm looking at those dashboards uh, at least once an hour, almost all day long so that I can keep my finger on the pulse of the team. Well, thanks for the Linear B plug. So that's a little shout out. <laughs> a little shout out to Linear B. So there's Our, a few different ways to, to get started. There's tools out there like Linear B and other ones. You could also start with a spreadsheet, probably a little bit more work, um, yep. <laughs> but you can start there. You can start. Absolutely. Um, all right. Let, let me ask you that. That's a good, I mean, I, I'm totally into it. It's a good, good first principle. Let me um, ask you this. Is there any um, ceremony that you would bring over to your, to your methodology? Yeah, that's a good one. Um, I don't think I could run a team successfully like myself, which is my personality without retro. Uh, okay, and, okay, cool. And we do our retros, I guess now they're all one team retros, but we used to have them so that every other retro was the entire engineering team together. Oh, nice. So See, I thought you were gonna say daily. I'm happy you said retro. This is uh, No, honestly, the dailies don't matter as much as you think they do. 
Oh, um, yeah. Okay. So because they're not for us, right? So if you're talking about what ceremony would I bring to run a team, daily is not for me. It's for the developers, right? But retro is something that you have to have because you have to value that feedback loop. I, I talk about this a lot when when I'm advocating for like getting the right people on a team, you know, or I'm talking to colleagues across other companies, you, it's expensive and difficult to hire the right person for your team. And you don't know that until usually like 90 days after they're there. Some people, well, you know, hiring is like the t- toughest thing ever. It's super hard. Yeah. Right. So it's important that um, it's important you get it right as best as you can, but then you just spent all of this money. Let's be honest. Time is money. Right. You just spent all this money trying to get the right person. If you don't provide an avenue to constantly solicit their feedback and to do it as a group even better, then you're missing out on a huge amount of value that you just went and, and looked for. So I, oh, I say retro. Cool. Okay, retro, nice. No, I, li- I like it. Um, so do you think that there's anything around like transparency or, or visibility? Like if I was a team that is always, was always in the office together, I can always kind of tell who's working on what, if someone's working on an area of code that I was working on, big code changes are coming down the pipe. You can just kind of hear the, the chatter. I, I absolutely anything do. there? I, I think, okay. I think in order to achieve maximum autonomy, you have to be transparent. And uh, even in the hiring process, I, I tell candidates, I will be a hundred percent transparent with you unless it's a legal problem, right? For me to be so. Yeah. Uh, so I, you know, I always encourage them, ask all the questions that you don't think you'd feel comfortable asking, but you have to be transparent. How are these people going to make the best decisions for your business? If you aren't transparent with them about what's going on, that might not extend to absolutely everything about the business. You know, I, who knows what's going on? Maybe we're, maybe we're applying or going through an acquisition process where we're buying another company. You can't talk about that stuff. That's okay. That doesn't mean that you can't be transparent about what we're trying to accomplish, et cetera. You know, make your data for the rest of the business known to the team if you're able to do it, right? If they can see that support tickets are going through the roof and we're spending a lot more time in, in bigger support cases, they can see then why we're prioritizing bug fixes. Yeah. Right? Um, but if you give them that autonomy and trust to always be executing on the right thing, that only works if you're constantly being transparent with them about what the business is trying to achieve. Any other ones? Are we, are we moving on? Uh, no, I, I think, I think you have to, depending on what you're doing, I think you have to really value that autonomy piece and tie it in with things like being innovative. If you're going to hire somebody and, you know, developers are not an inexpensive commodity on on the business side, um, really let them do their thing. Let them be creative. And a bigger thing is don't be afraid to fail, right? Give them that trust and let them know that when they make a mistake, it's okay. We're going to figure out what went wrong and, and how to not make that mistake again, but let them fail. It's okay to fail, quantify it, measure it, move on. Yeah. Fail, fail fast. It's not a bad thing. Learn from it. Uh, improve. Um, okay. So we're, we're starting to come up on, on time a little bit here, but I wanted to ask you one more, um, question. If you were going to give advice to an engineering leader that was kind of in more of that, let's say more disciplined, you know, follow the agile book manifesto mode, 
what do you have any advice for that person that's going from that kind of strict discipline to being more open about methodologies and not being by the book like anything that kind of helped you when you tr transition there uh yeah i totally went through this joining kicksmart so that's a that's a great one um number one as a pretext pair yourself up with a really good product uh uh, team or you know like your peer and product i guess so like oh wow tell me about this if you're yeah. in a, well if you're in a company structure where it's like you're a director of engineering and you have a director of product right and it's it's up to both of you you are a product delivery team right that's your peer right. not necessarily your downline so like have a really strong relationship with your product team um because it'll make all the difference right if you two are united front the entire team can tell um so pretext on that one, join a new company, make really good inroads with your product team, really get to know, um, depending on your structure, like your product managers, your product owners, um, if you have scrum masters, like really get involved with those people and develop a really trusting relationship so that when they bring something to you, you don't feel defensive, right? Totally love that because it's not, you're not just an engineering team. The way no, you work product delivery is, team. that's, yeah, that's the product delivery stuff. team. Yeah, exactly. Product um, owners, scrum managers, uh, you know, a lot of different types, you know, QA might be a little bit separate depending on how, how you're set up. Everybody is involved in how we work. Yeah, exactly. So okay. uh, that's the cheating thing. Um, but that will give you the foundation uh, at your new gig, if you will. Uh, that'll give you the foundation to really be more comfortable trying new things because you will feel okay taking some risks. Yeah. So kind of the, the summary, things are going to change. It's not going to be the same as it was you know, 20, uh, 20 years from now. Um, so be data driven, stay flexible, get your peers, I'll call them product delivery peers involved, which can help you have confidence to make a change. Um, and always yeah. be learning, I guess. As part and of being data be driven, you constantly have to be exposing yourself to new ideas. And especially if they're coming from your team, if your team is telling you we can be better, why would you stop them? Yeah, that's best case scenario. Awesome. Yeah, Embrace that. Yeah, if they fail at being better, like that's not a bad outcome either. They learned something new and so did you. Well, Chris, I wanted to, I got to thank you for, for coming on. You have a wealth of knowledge, really, really good advice. We're definitely going to have you um, on again. So, you know, thank you so much for sharing all of your uh, experiences. I love chatting. This has been fun. Awesome, man. Well, until next week, I'm Dan Lines, and this is Dev Interrupted.